0: hello and welcome to the tech dirt podcast I'm Mike masnick the world is increasingly technological so we have better get with course bring pretend the critical digital journalism with the singular vision of the modern monarch stopping the copyright police for pulling the wall on us sat and taking on all the plates to pay control document the way that they
1: aim to take control. who their lives and make andfold if we don't sound up to
0: Uh, We haven't talked uh, about it as much lately, uh, as a ton of other issues have seemed to take prominence regarding tech and policy issues of late. Uh, But an issue that we've covered going back ages on TechDirt has been problems with the patent system. Uh, Going back to the earliest days of TechDirt, I've written about the ways in which the uh, patent system has created problems and how bad patents are frequently abused, especially by trolling lawyers, but also to be fair, among some operating firms, to actually hinder innovation rather than encourage and incentivize it, which is one hopes, the purpose of a patent system. Uh, This has led to some people to claim that I'm actually somehow anti-patent, and I don't think that's true at all. Uh, I can see some instances where the incentive structures of a patent can be really, really useful in encouraging uh, important and useful innovation, though I also think that there are other incentive structures for innovation that should be explored. Uh, But a key thing to me is, is just how many bad patents there are and how they've really been weaponized. So I was... Really excited to see that Engine, which is the tech policy nonprofit that focuses on startups and entrepreneurship, uh, has launched the very first Patent Quality Week uh, to discuss not how patents are bad, but about how we can focus on making sure that the system gives us more good patents rather than flooding it with really bad patents that are so easily weaponized. Uh, on techdirt all this week, hopefully, we will be <laughs> running uh, a bunch of posts about patent quality and how to improve it. And... Uh, For this podcast, we have on uh, Engines IP Council, which is Abby Reeves, uh, to talk about patents, patent policy, and the very, very first Patent Quality Week. So, Abby, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks very much.
0: So, uh, what is Patent Quality Week? Tell us.
1: So, uh, I want to take just a quick step back to talk a little bit about what motivated us to start Patent Quality Week. So uh, we've seen just in the first half of the first year of the Biden administration and in the 117th Congress, some positive signs about the direction that the federal government could be taking when it comes to patent policy. We saw, for example, the Biden administration support a waiver of intellectual property rights when it comes to COVID Uh, Vaccines. We saw in the recent executive order attention being given to the fact that uh, patent abuse can lead to higher drug prices. It can contribute to a lack of competition in the agriculture sector. We've seen the Senate so far this year hold a hearing on patent quality and hold a hearing on increasing diversity and inclusivity in the patent system. And so we take all of these as very good signs, especially in contrast to the previous administration and the previous Congress, where we saw Uh, policy changes that led to a dramatic increase in abusive patent litigation across the country. We're seeing increase in legal costs. We're hearing anecdotally about people receiving more patent demand letters from low-level patent assertion entities. And so we're very happy to see the direction that it seems the government is turning towards patent policy, um, but it's really critical, especially right now, we don't have a patent office director, we don't have uh, a lot of concrete patent policy proposals coming out of the government right now, that the choices that come in the coming days, weeks, months, continue on this trajectory. Um, so we thought Patent Quality Week would be a great opportunity to try and keep the momentum in the right direction and really remind policymakers, but also importantly, Remind the public of just how important patent quality is across the economy. Um, And so that's what we're trying to showcase with Patent Quality Week. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about why patent quality matters, what that means to us. But we know that the overwhelming majority of the United States economy across industries from small businesses in the restaurant and retail space to domestic manufacturers, from golf ball manufacturers to major automotive companies uh, to big tech companies, individual web developers, uh, patients, patient advocates, doctors, people who understand the role that the patent system plays in whether or not people can get access to medical treatment and diagnostics. These are a bunch of different stakeholders that all share these common goals around promoting patent quality so that, as you noted, we make sure that we have a patent system aligned to promote innovation and we don't have a patent system that's just there to stand in the way of innovation, access, and economic growth. And so throughout the week, we'll have a handful of events, Zoom webinars. Uh, We'll be featuring writing from authors in all of those sectors of the economy, think tanks, academics, et cetera, and hopefully drumming up some interest on social media to just get people in the public uh, a little bit more aware of how they deserve to have a voice in these conversations. This isn't just a space for pharmaceutical lobbyists to participate, but we really all deserve to have a seat at the table when Congress makes these decisions.
0: Um, So let's talk a little bit about patent quality. I mean, one of the things that I think has... um, has bugged me about a lot of these discussions in general, just going back years when talking about the patent system is that oftentimes, um, patents are used as a kind of, um, you know, it's a proxy for innovation and and people will look at like the number of patents and, and, you know, the number of patents granted. If it's going up, that means, you know, lots of innovation is happening in theory, Um, you know, and like the companies that receive the most patents are are deemed the most innovative. Um, and, And yet, you know, if that's true, then it's easy to, to to rig the system, right? If you just approve absolutely everything, you'll get a lot more patents, but that won't necessarily mean that anything is more innovative. Um, so, you know, what what do you mean when you're talking about you know patent quality and and what is what is a quality patent?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think for me, the first place my mind goes is towards valid patents. We know mm-hmm. that unfortunately, like it's a reality occasionally invalid patents will issue and we think the USPTO should be working to make sure that the only patents that get issued are ones that are actually novel or actually not obvious, actually go uh, far enough towards describing the invention so people know what what is claimed, and also so people can know whether or not they infringe. These are all like fundamental features of what the patent system should be doing, and sometimes it fails. And so it would be great to think about what policy levers we can pull to improve the quality of issued patents. So a high-quality patent to me, first and foremost, is a valid patent. Um, I think it's also really critical when we think about patent quality to understand that a patent um, has a whole lifespan. And so the language that is used in a patent claim has to put the public on notice and explain to folks how to use the patent. But it also should, um, in doing those things, be like clear and consistent enough that it doesn't shift really drastically throughout time. But what we've seen in practice is that people can get what might be a valid patent issued from the patent office and then take it out there into the world and try and assert it, try to interpret it in different ways so that it has a shifting scope out there in the market. Um, for example, I might really invent a better mousetrap and get a patent on my better mousetrap, but I go out there with my patent and I accuse everybody that makes mousetraps of infringing my patent. And they will understandably come back and say, well, that can't possibly be right. Either your patent is invalid or I don't infringe it. And so I think when we see those behaviors come up in the marketplace and in demand letters and in litigation and in claim construction proceedings, we're experiencing uh, probably arguments that render the patent invalid so it kind of brings me right back around to where i started but i think that to the extent that the system and the processes and the the whole patent system from prosecution all the way through litigation can prevent those sorts of shifting approaches to patent claim scope that could also improve quality because it would really ensure that only valid patents were also the ones that were being asserted i hope that makes sense
0: yeah no I, i think that that's good but um just for 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 background for people who maybe aren't as deep in the weeds as as you know maybe you and i are on some of these things you know i think if if people were just sort of following this stuff Loosely, over the last say decade, you know there were a few different things that happened, right? So there was the American Invents Act, which was passed, and you know almost a decade ago now. Um, that sort of you know some people would argue, well, that solved all the the problems of the patent system. Uh, I mean, it was a major a major reform. Uh, and then you had certainly the Supreme Court step in and um, and come up with a bunch of really big and and I think important decisions, often relating to you know patentable subject matter what is allowed um and um you know and and sort of the nature of patent litigation that i think in a lot of cases did push back on some of the worst abuses that showed up in the late 90s and early 2000s um so what else has happened you know in between all that and today that we're now seeing again sort of real you know problems and threats from you know, uh, invalid or bad patents, or, or you know, uh, you know, people using patents in a way that is much more broad than they should be.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, I'll start from the top where you mentioned the America Invents Act, and mm-hmm. so some of the things that the AIA did, uh, like establishing the patent pro bono program and establishing regional patent offices across the country, I think are continuing to work well, and it's just a question of giving people better legal advice and having the government do a better job of meeting inventors where they are at can improve the quality of what's going into the system, or it should be able to. So it's a question of whether we've done enough. Um, And so I think Congress will be revisiting that over the coming year and a half. But then, very importantly, the American Invents Act also set up three different mechanisms for post-issuance review of patents, patents. it used to be that there were these like very long, drawn-out ways to go back to the patent office. It's a very inefficient mechanism to say, hey, patent office, I think you made a mistake. Can you take a second look at this patent? That was a very underutilized mechanism because it took too long and it, wasn't, um, it just wasn't uh, efficient enough. And so the AIA set up quicker, more efficient mechanisms to allow independent third parties to go to the patent office and say hey I think you made a mistake you probably shouldn't have issued this patent were you aware of this prior art were you aware of um, this product that was out there on the market Uh, I think if you read this uh, other patent you would have realized that this patent that you recently issued was improvidently granted. And that's inter partes review, post-grant review, and covered business method review. And for a while, we were seeing those systems work. Instead of having to go to court and defend yourself against litigation, which costs uh, millions and millions of dollars, you could go to the patent office, ask for an inter partes review, and you would spend less than half a million dollars all the way through the point of appeal. So it's putting those patent challenges within reach and just shifting the economics of who can bring the challenges and whether they're willing to incur the cost of bringing the challenges. And so again, that system was working pretty well. We were seeing less abusive patent assertion. In the startup context, we were seeing uh, startup activity really flourish. We were seeing the costs of litigation start to decline. And then over the last, I would say, two years, we saw some policy changes at the patent office primarily that were restricting access to inter partes review. So um, if you were the second person to file uh, inter partes review petition on a given patent, it could be different claims, but it's the same patent, um, they were going to scrutinize your request differently. If mm. you had been sued in uh, a fast moving district, like the Western District of Texas or the Eastern District of Texas, the patent office uh, was increasingly deciding regardless of whether we think the patent's valid we're going to just let the litigation continue to unfold and um, there were changes really like wonky stuff thinking about who bears the burden of proof and how do we weigh evidence at different points in time during the proceeding and overall this constellation of policy changes made it much more difficult to file a successful inter partes review petition. Again, setting aside the merits, these weren't based on whether you had a good petition, whether it was a bad patent. It was based on other procedural features, and um, overall it was just increasing the chances that you would have a meritorious petition denied, which of course decreases your incentive to incur the cost of filing the petition, increases the likelihood that you'll just settle with the abusive patent litigant and make the whole thing go away. Um, The other side of that is that when there is an invalid patent out there it can be asserted or threatened against dozens hundreds thousands of accused infringers but one invalidation clears out that problem for a bunch of other people and so each time an invalid patent evades review it lives on for another day to be asserted against another startup in our case is what we're worried about but some other innovator Um, so we've seen those changes in the American Invents act um, another thing that you alluded to was um, the Supreme Court's decision in the case of Alice v. CLS Bank and the the structure that the Supreme Court f- put forward for determining whether or not a patent is directed to an abstract idea. So the, I, the sorry, idea there being <laughs> um, with that case, you shouldn't be able to get a patent on the idea of, like, let's just collect a bunch of data, analyze it, and generate a result. Let's just do data analysis on a computer. You can't patent that. Let's um, transmit images. Without the technical details of how to transmit images, let's just patent. I'm going to transmit images on a computer. I'm going to to run some basic calculations on a computer. Those are things that you can't get a patent on, and the Supreme Court confirmed that in 2014. And while the Supreme Court's decision in 2014 was very consistent with over 150 years of Supreme Court case law, there had been enough instances since the late 90s of the Patent Office allowing these sorts of abstract idea software patents business this method patents to issue and the federal circuit structure for assessing eligibility being just a little out of balance and allowing them to persist in the system so 2014 when the alice decision came down it was a really positive moment for stopping the assertion of these very weak overbroad patents which again could be asserted against all kinds of innovators anybody that's uh, you know, allowing the exchange of currency in an online game shouldn't be sued for patent infringement just by allowing the exchange of currency in a digital environment. Right. So in recent years, we've seen some judges express basically a hostility to the Supreme Court's decision and um, deciding that they don't want to make the decisions that are brought uh, pursuant to the Alice decision. And we've also seen some momentum with just a very few members of Congress, but still some members of Congress who seem also to disagree with the Supreme Court. Um, And so that has, I think, added some momentum under the wings of the folks who would like to be asserting these low quality patents and trying to get away with it and so they're just seeing an opportunity to leverage those bad patents in their portfolio um and so i'll pause there i don't want to ramble on too much but there have been some other supreme court decisions that i think were really good and uh but they're a few years old now and people have found ways to work around them
0: right yeah no i I think that's that's a, a concern i mean um you sort of mentioned at the end there this idea of you know either companies or individuals who have low quality patents that they wish to assert, you know, there is a part of me that's thinking like when you say patent quality week, you know, who's against, you know, quality, right? So in in theory, right, everybody should be for it. But so, so who is, you know, who is on the the other side of it? Um, Because I I think you could argue that it it goes, you know, beyond just like, we all know that there, you know, there are some random, you know, patent holders out there who just have some crummy patent that they're hoping to get rich off of and it's sort of a lottery ticket but i think it goes beyond that and i think that um you know it's worth highlighting some that that there is a a sort of concerted effort to you know broaden what can be covered in patents and to limit the patent office's ability to to review these patents um you know who who is that and why (laughs) what's happening there
1: um so i think part of it A big part of it goes back to something that you said earlier, which is like positioning patent quantity relative Mm -hmm. to patent quality. And so I think some of this is a genuine like patent law is hard. Patent policy is hard. (laughs) I, you know, I was a patent litigator for several years. I clerked for a federal judge. I studied this in law school. And I still sometimes sit down and read a patent and I'm like, oh, God, this is (laughs) hard. And. So you're thinking about people who are working for a member of Congress, they have like 17,000 things on their plate, they don't have the luxury of time to sit down and really think about things and study. I mean, some of them do. Some of them are like really, really extraordinarily thoughtful people who really get the issues. But not everybody can t- can dig in that deep. And so I think you you called it a proxy, patent quantity versus quality. It's easy for people to fall back on that. And so I think sometimes what we're doing is just combating this reality that patent policy is difficult and quantity doesn't indicate or doesn't correlate to domestic innovation and trying to just constantly explain that in a way that it's more accessible to um, People here in D.C. who are helping contribute to the policymaking decisions, but also more widely across the public. So I think that's one thing that we really want to try to do with Patent Quality Week is demystify the patent system and try and use stories and practical examples told by patient advocates, by the ACLU, by startup founders themselves who own patents but have also been accused of infringement to use these voices and these stories to try and clarify, no, we just want good patents. We don't want more bad patents. Um, But I also do think that there are certain people out there who stand to make a lot of money off of their ability to own more patents and their ability to own more patents that are exceedingly broad and um, I am not an expert in this area but you know we have some friends who work in the drug space and thinking Mm -hmm. about drug pricing and just looking at the enormous portfolios that are held by certain pharmaceutical companies around specific uh, brand branded products And the longer you can have some sort of patent protection attached to your brand name product, the longer you can stave off generic competition. And so there's a lot of economic value there in certain products. Um, I think the same thing in certain areas when it comes to the adoption of 5G technology, we're seeing... And I mean, I think very notably we're seeing Huawei come in and try and scoop up a bunch of U.S. patents, and that gives them a lot of leverage if they're not going to be allowed to um, put their technology in place (laughs) in the United States. They can go sue Verizon, and this is just a settlement that was announced within the last two weeks. I don't think we know the dollar amount, but Verizon had initially been accused of infringement by Huawei to the tune of $1 billion. So... um, there's like a lot of money at stake if you can get these patents on the standard technology that we're going to all be adopting. And then even if you don't get to make the money off the technology, you can make the money off of the domestic companies that are implementing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to, to bring up the sort of the Huawei Verizon situation because, right, there, there have been sort of national security concerns about Huawei. Um, and then you, you bring that into it and you realize like patent policy is not just about you know, who, who gets to innovate and who gets the money, but also could impact national security, you know, surveillance, uh, all sorts of other areas, um, depending on how these things play out. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, now I know, you know, engine obviously is really focused on startups and entrepreneurship. So, um, do you want to talk a little bit to, uh, you know, what does all this mean to, to the startup community and, and, and why this is important to them?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think um, when it comes to startups, first of all, many of them, not all of them, certainly not all of them, but many of them do want patents. And in some industries, having patent protection is actually a really important part of a startup's journey to commercial success. And it also, for better or worse, is very helpful in attracting attracting investors and can be important in signaling to the market the legitimacy of your product to attract customers also to enable in licensing or cross-licensing with business partners and other innovators like there are a lot of reasons why startups want patents but if startups are getting low quality patents it really undercuts each of those activities and so uh, startups who want to obtain patents really stand to benefit the most when they're getting valid patents and i think also about the the frustration of spending a lot of your time and your money because startups are operating on thin margins. Getting a patent is not cheap. You have to hire attorneys. you got to pay the fees to the patent office to put all that time and effort in and then to find out later that there were a few pieces of prior art out there that had the system worked better and found that prior art and the examiner had talked to you about it, you would have had the opportunity to amend your claims and have a valid patent. But instead, you just wasted that time and money. And now you have a uh, valueless you wouldn't even call it an asset you have a valueless thing you have some paper (laughs) um so that's very important but also very importantly is startups are very vulnerable to abusive patent assertion and um so there's always a risk for every startup regardless of whether it wants patents or not that it will be accused of infringement in this abusive fashion and um, i think you've already mentioned kind of the two big buckets that we think about one is patent assertion entities or quote-unquote patent trolls um And then the other is the ability of incumbents in the market to obtain weak overbroad patents, especially if you're the first uh, mover in an industry, in a market, you can obtain the first patents or some of the early patents, and then you can just use them to threaten to sue all of the nascent upstarts that wanna come in and compete with you, excuse me. And because those companies don't have a lot of resources, Uh, the reality is that they might not be able to afford to withstand the litigation so even if it's a frivolous case brought by a patent assertion entity or by a competitor it can be enough to at the very least slow startups down but unfortunately has been the thing that led to some startups just being forced to go out of business altogether and so if it's If it's harder to obtain low-quality patents, then, of course, that behavior is less prevalent. And then, as I mentioned, I think when we think about patent quality, we also have to think about the whole life of a patent. And so if the court system and if the IPR system are set up in ways that really bring balance and make sure that a startup, even with not a lot of money, can afford to defend itself in the face of frivolous claims, then it also makes those sorts of abusive practices less profitable for the patent trolls or not the wise decision in terms of competing with your um new market entrance if you're an incumbent instead you can start trying to compete on the merits trying to come up with better products and really do the what's competition is supposed to do
0: (laughs) so you've mentioned a few things here and in that in that last answer included but i mean what in an ideal world what what sorts of policies would you like to see put in place to improve patent quality
1: um so i think uh, i think about this kind of like chronologically and so i'm thinking from like the point of entry for a startup into the the patent examination process and i've heard over the course of the last six months as these conversations have been happening as i mentioned with um the senate ip subcommittee we've seen a lot of conversations around these ideas and so one again is just doing a better job of meeting innovators where they are at Um, there is a prior art research facility here in alexandria virginia wouldn't it be great if you could be an innovator in lincoln nebraska and also have similar resources you can tap into pro bono assistance in terms of having somebody with real expertise in patent law, help think through, do you even have a patentable invention? Is it even worth going down this path at all? Getting that advice earlier on would be very valuable. And then also seeing it through to the end. So you have more high quality patents coming out at the end. Um, Also expanding pro bono offerings just in general, to bring more people into that umbrella. And then I think thinking about the structure of the USPTO right now, I think it's been for decades now that uh, some at the PTO at least have thought about patent applicants as the primary stakeholder, as the client of the agency. And so I think we would like to see a culture shift to remind the entire agency that the public is, Think like really the ultimate and most important stakeholder of what the agency is doing and i definitely know there are a lot of people at the pto who already think this way and um this is, this is not meant to be a ding on on anybody that works there. i just think it has been a cultural thing and then the structures and procedures and decision points have been oriented towards the applicant and with the The failing there being how do we orient the structures to serve people who aren't there in front of us in our face all the time. So it's hard, but I think it would be really great. And part of that is just, you know, thinking about the organizational chart at the PTO. There used to be, I forget the name, a a deputy commissioner for patent quality, and that position was eliminated last year. Hmm. And I think um, this is one of those things, if nobody's responsible for patent quality, Or if everybody's responsible for patent quality, then nobody's responsible for patent quality. (laughs) So it's good to have leadership positions and to have really dedicated infrastructure and resources within the PTO to think, how could we be doing better? Doing trainings, making sure that everybody's up to date on the case law, improving the IT available to examiners to get the best prior art in front of them, cut back on the, the wasted time reviewing irrelevant prior art. And then going along with that is, are there ways to tweak the USPTO's cost structure in order to uh, make sure that we have the money that we need to cover examination and to give examiners more time, put a little bit more money in at the front end to make sure examiners have the time they need to review patents. Um, I think the data most recently available suggests that an examiner only has Less than 20 hours to spend with a patent application over the course of the entire examination process. And in complex technology, that's just not a lot of time. So um, there have been some promising proposals um, by Professor Wasserman and Frakes talking about ways to increase examination fees early on, allow large applicants like the Samsungs and IBMs and Qualcomms of the world to pay more to get mm. examination. and then and have them also subsidize smaller applicants which is very right. important to us at engine um, um, so that's that some front-end stuff
0: cool interesting on the um on the examination stuff one of the things that i know has come up in the past i don't know if i've heard as much about it lately is that you know patent examiners for for the longest time really just focused on you know looking at prior art in in previous patents or um, you know, possibly in like academic journals and things like that. And often, especially this was true in the software and technology space, those, you know, the prior art was not showing up in those places. Um, you know, people were just sort of, you know, especially with software and, and, and internet related stuff, people were just building stuff, you know, and that, and that wasn't showing up and yet, you know, patent examiners were um, often just not looking in the places where that prior art existed. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's changed at least a little bit in, in the recent past, but I don't know the extent of that and, and if there's more that can be done to actually uh, allow the examiners to, to look at what is the real state of the art that is not just seen in patent applications uh, or previously granted patents and academic journals.
1: I think that's excellent point and I think you're completely right that uh, I think there is still a bit of a bias in favor of looking for U.S. patent applications and U.S. patent publications when doing prior art searches. It's easier. The technology, I'm sure, is much, much more sophisticated, so it's understandable that we're headed that way. But... Product prior art, being able to find what are people out there actually doing, is really hard to figure out how to get that in front of the examiners. And I think when I was a litigator, it was like sometimes even felt very hard for us to find. And we have a lot more time Hmm. and a lot more resources at a big firm to find product prior art. um, And that posed challenges. Um, Products change. You know, you might have something that looks like it would... It would be prior art to the patent, a product that's been on the market for 10 years. Patent was applied for five years ago. Well, what did the product look like five years ago? I don't know. It was like somebody (laughs) threw it away. Uh, Or they they rewrote, they wrote over, um, like there's just no relic of what that technology looked like. So there are a lot of inherent problems with product prior art and trying to figure out better ways around those. And I think um, one thought that... um, seems very promising to me, is finding better ways, especially if it's a patent that's going to have substantial commercial value, finding better ways to bring more people into the examination process. Because, of course, when we look at litigation, expert discovery is a very, very important part of answering those sorts of questions. An expert can say, oh, well, I actually have the old product, or I know exactly what it looked like. Um, The patent office doesn't have access to that outside expert expertise and so if there are ways to bring non-parties into examination then that could be one way to try and get over the inherent problems of understanding product prior art or even finding it in the first place you get an expert and it's like oh yeah i remember the machine that we were running these tests on 10 years ago uh i can find the the uh, what's the booklet User like manual. the manual, yeah, the user yeah. <laughs> manual. I go find the user manual, uh, and that might, you know, give you a lot of useful information. So, right. well, I mean, I think it's it, hard, but it's important.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that structurally the way the patent system works, right, is that it it's you know, um, it's it's not an adversarial process. You know, you, you, the the applicant you know puts in the the patent application, and you have the patent examiner. And as you noted, you know. N- I, I and and this is not to to denigrate the patent examiners who I do think, you know, really do want to do the right, right thing um and are, you know, careful and as thorough as they can be uh, in most cases. Um but you know, they really are only seeing one side of, of the story. And and there's nothing set up within the patent system, you know, until you get really to sort of the IPR process for the most part, for someone to say like, hey, wait a second, like there should be someone sort of advocating for the other side um, or just, you know, advocating for the public interest <laughs> to some extent. Um, and that's just not built into the system. And and I recognize like that's difficult. And, and w- with the number of patent applications you have, it wouldn't make sense to have somebody in there you know on every single patent application and saying like this shouldn't issue because x y and z though you know there's 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 some element of like it feels like you kind of should if you're going to give somebody a 20 year monopoly on something um you know we should be careful about that process <laughs> so i don't i don't know what you know what can be done there in terms of like you know ha- having you know, having that process be more adversarial
1: i think it, i everything you just said 100% agree and <laughs> it's there people have written about and, and disagreed about um whether there's like it makes sense because so few patents end up being commercially valuable, end up getting right. asserted and get up raised in litigation. Is it even worth spending more resources on the front end? And we of course think yes, it is. It's very important. Um and it's definitely worth it. The economic downsides are substantial. But it's hard to know in advance what those those patents that are going to be important that are going to be asserted look like and so i have an easier time thinking about this through the pharmaceutical lens because you actually can get a pretty good sense at a certain point of which pharma patents are going to be economically significant and so um, that if there were a way to let the public come in and participate people could generic competitors could have their eyes on these are the patents we're going to want to challenge as they're coming up through the pike. For startups, it's very hard for me to understand how we would mimic that same sort of ability to monitor the universe of 600,000 applications coming in every year and figure out which of those are going to issue and be asserted in a way that's problematic for an individual startup or for an entire Class of startups coming up around the same time. And so um, I think this is also a limitation we've seen with the post grant review process, which is like shortly after issuance, coming back to the patent office and asking them to take a second look at an issued patent. It's just really difficult to know uh, when and how to participate outside of the pharmaceutical space. Um, But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't open those doors. And I do think in the pharma space, it makes a lot of sense. And then um, hopefully we can figure out ways to be more transparent and let people know better what's coming, what's going to be a threat to them. Um, And I guess another feature of startups is that uh, a lot of them didn't exist at the time that the patent they're being accused of infringing was issued and so they wouldn't have had the opportunity to participate but ideally somebody coming along before them could have found out that this was going to be a problem for the industry and um really put put everybody to their paces to make sure only valid patents were issued
0: yeah um so so getting back to to patent quality week um so what uh what other stuff is there for Patent Quality Week that, that people should should know about, that they're listening? Are there things that they can participate in, things that they should do? Um, what, uh, what, what should people know about Patent Quality Week?
1: Yeah, well, we have a website. I can read the URL if that's okay.
0: <laughs> you can read it. We'll have a link to it also, but you go ahead and, and read it. Uh,
1: patent quality week engine is and there we have a small collection of events that will be hosted throughout the week so folks can tune in and listen and if they're available uh, to hear experts talk about the public as a stakeholder in the patent system hear directly from startup founders about what their experience as uh moving through the patent system both sides as owners and as targets of infringement uh, the, this is the 10th anniversary this year of the America Invents Act and the introduction of the inter partes review system and so there will be an event looking back over the past 10 years what has been the economic impact what has been successful where is there still room to grow when we're looking at the AIA 10 years later bringing in multi industry perspective from medical devices to smaller tech companies economic economics experts, legal professors. And then we'll also be featuring a handful of written works on that website. And so anybody who's interested in learning more from one of the any various perspectives can go and read uh, work of various lengths. And uh, also tech dart. So I think I'm looking <laughs> forward to some of the things I think, uh, our friends are going to be publishing or asking to publish. And then, um, also would encourage people to engage on social media, share stories, um, share their perspectives. We've got a hashtag patent quality week, hashtag PQW. So there's some information about that on our website. Um, yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Well, um, thanks for 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 taking the time um, thanks for for putting together patent quality week I think it, it is important I think it's you know of all the the various issues that are impacting the tech industry these days the patents have always been one of the one of the really big ones um, and somehow seems to have been you know everybody's been focused on so many other things I think it's, it's sort of gotten a little bit lost in the shuffle and yet it's still really important and I know that that there there have been unfortunately real efforts to sort of um you know have the the patent system backslide <laughs> into the kind of disaster that it was uh not too long ago where where it was sort of filled with with bad actors
1: yeah and i think uh and that's where like part of m- encouraging Patent quality also has to do with making it less easy to profit off of low quality patents, because if there's less incentive to obtain and assert low quality patents, then that will also help clean up the patent system. And so, yeah, bringing visibility back to those issues that really had a high profile a decade ago, uh, we think now is a really important time for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um and so uh everyone can go check out check out the website. We'll have a link uh if you didn't write down the, uh, the link <laughs> as Happy <Abby> said it. <laughs> but uh um yeah, I mean, and there's lots of good stuff. And obviously, this is, uh, while, while this is, this may be patent quality week right now, this is not an issue that will be solved in a week. <laughs> so uh, continue to engage in, and participate in discussions on this and, and make sure people know um, how important it is to actually to get this right and how damaging uh, bad patents can be. Yeah. So, um, thank you, Abby, for, for, for putting together Patent Quality Week uh, and all the work that, that you and, and the rest of Engine has done with all of this and, and helping entrepreneurs, uh, you know, fight the good fight <laughs> to, to remain entrepreneurial. Uh, and um, and thanks for taking the time to, to have this discussion as well.
1: Same. All of the above, same to you, Mike. We're grateful <laughs> for the opportunity.
0: Great. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and we'll be back next week. To grab a shovel and dig up the tap If we don't stand up to them someone will get